Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. To learn more about our leadership development and team building, visit iFlyVirginiaBeach.com. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast series with U.S. Navy Special Operations veteran, CEO, and hockey fanatic, Bob Pizzini. Bob discusses leadership, success, failure, defining moments, and hard lessons learned with guests who are intentional in their approach to leadership. Leadership is a perishable skill. Use it or lose it. In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. I love to interview guests who not only bring great value to me and my organization, but these are people who I know will bring great value to you and your organization. Today is the first time I am interviewing two guests, co-authors of a book that I find to be very intriguing called Right Leader, Right Time. My guests are Olivia Wagner and Bob Jordan, and I'm going to read their bios here briefly. Robert Jordan has launched companies and helped other owners and investors build their companies for 25 plus years. After founding the first internet coverage magazine in the world, titled Online Access, and landing on the Inc. 500 list of fastest growing companies, Jordan sold the magazine and began taking on interim CEO gigs. And we're going to dive into that. It's very interesting. High multiple company sales and IPOs followed. In 2007, he started an online network for interim executives around the globe, expanding to 2,300 executives from 45 countries. Jordan then co-founded Interim Executives, helping owners and investors with powerful leadership on demand through Interim Executives Red Team, Rapid Executive Deployment, and I like your uh, comparison to SEAL teams in one of your uh, promotional spots. Jordan is the author of How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America, and publishing partner for Start With No. I actually have that on my bookshelf. Jim Capp's best-selling book and audio on negotiation. He is a lifelong Chicagoan, who ya, I'm from that area, with a wife and two daughters, plus two dogs. My other guest, Olivia Wagner, co-founded Interim Executives and directs the organization with a mission to help companies get to a better future by matching them with the best leadership around the world. No small task. Olivia previously built an online network for executives from a homegrown website into a robust social network with thousands of members from around the globe. She directed publication of various ebook, website, and marketing initiatives and edited How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights 
from the heart of America. In conjunction with the book, she led a national event series for entrepreneurs, which drew hundreds of attendees and co-hosting organizations. Wagner is a Michigan native, recently making her way back to the Detroit area where she resides with her husband and son. Welcome, Olivia. Thanks, Bob. Happy to be here. And welcome, Robert, or we'll call you Bob. Thanks, Bob. You and I are the same. Sometimes we're Robert, sometimes we're Bob. That's right. We have that dilemma. A friend of mine, Jeffrey Hazlett, who's a pretty big media guy, you know, we call him Jeff, but he says in print, Jeffrey makes him more money. So it's kind of <laughs> kind of interesting how that works. Well, this is exciting. This is the first time I've interviewed two guests at one time. Um, you co-authored a book that I find very interesting. And then you also started Interim Executives. So you have kind of two different things going on here, but the theme is leadership. That's the theme of this podcast. Let's just dive right into the book, Right Leader, Right Time. The thing that's up front in the book, like in the first few pages, and that resonates with me, is your four leadership styles. Olivia, do you want to just discuss those four leadership styles and how it is you came across those? Sure. Thanks, Bob. In building our company interim execs over the past 12 plus years, we ultimately have been approached by over 5,000 executives and a very small percentage actually make the cut to work with us. In seeing the, what separated the best leaders from the rest, we ultimately kind of saw these patterns. Great leaders know their strengths. They're selective about what they take on. And we started seeing these four leadership styles expressed through the, the companies, through the leaders we've worked with. And we call it Fab's Leadership. Fixer, artist, builder, strategist. Each leadership type is very unique in its wiring. Uh, the fixer, for example, is the leader that is drawn to the chaotic situation. They can go into a company where the house is on fire, toxic work environment, revenue declining, turn things around, bring stability, and typically they're looking to move on, do it all over again. Twitter. Um, it, Sorry. And, yes, and we, and we see that these uh, different wirings and of each of the types. Okay, so fixer. And then Bob, the other traditional leadership styles, you have coach, you have visionary, you have uh, directive, etc. Did you also discover those or these four prevalent, your fabs are what you focused on? Well, we saw this in operational leadership. So it's not to take away from any other model. I think these are additive. Uh, Olivia and I, for example, are huge fans of a profile called Colby, which is a cognitive profile. It's the instinctive, intuitive way you perform work. But our observation was specifically around operational leadership. And to see these four modes coming out so strongly among successful leaders. And as Olivia said, unfortunately, for the majority of people who were approaching us, we saw the opposite, which is too much dilution over the course of someone's career. They were not focusing. And we kind of coined a little phrase internally, there was dilution, there was delusion, there were detours, and not to the advantage of those folks' careers. And unfortunately, that described the significant majority of executives showing up on our doorstep. Wow. And I would imagine that those three Ds, we'll call that D-cubed, I would imagine that uh, those three Ds then kind of permeate the rest of the organization. For sure. I mean, and you, I'm, I'm sure you, you know this in your bones 
from your own leadership work. And and we're in a business, it's not it's not an employment agency. You know, we can't, someone's kind of in the middle of the organization, done okay. That's not good enough. We're dealing with owners of companies that the only sense of making a match for them when they have a leadership need is, is that proposed leader has to be off the charts outstanding. There can't be any question about the fact they're in the top one or 2%. So sooner or later, I, I'm sure you can relate to this. Sooner or later, I, I keep joking with Olivia, we have to put something up on the website that says it, it's harder to get on, we call it interim, interim execs red team. It's harder to get on the red team than to get into Stanford or Harvard. <laughs> it just is. It, it's so, it's, it's just, it's not fair. You know, we just say it's just, this is the way that it is. Yeah, I get that. I, I totally get that. It is uh, merit-based. It's it's best interest of the organization, which ultimately represents the best interest of your customer. And it makes perfect sense. Bob, if I can throw in one other thing, it, it ties in with a phrase you've used repeatedly in your podcast, your messaging, which I love. I hadn't heard it before. Leadership is perishable. And, you know, for the kind of work we do and excellence has to be repeated. You know, in Hollywood, I think there, you know, there's the expression, you're only as good as your last movie. Well, accountable leadership is the same way, right? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. I, I, I say often that, um, as a matter of fact, I just had a, a piece published in our local business newspaper called Inside Business, where I, I discussed, you know, the perishability of leadership and my comparison, and maybe you've heard it in, in one of my podcasts, just as an athlete trains or a musician rehearses daily, so too should a leader hone their craft on a daily basis. You know, this discussion, for example, for me is honing my craft because I've already learned so much in the last couple of days. And I love the fabs concept. So fixer, artist, builder, strategist. Olivia, have you seen within that, you, see, you said that those were the four kind of prevalent traits you saw after working uh, with so many companies. In your discussion of fixer, for example, you, you talk briefly about what a fixer is. And then you say when they've done, then I think you said the dopamine high wears off or something to that effect, and they have to move on to the next thing. But are there leaders who are kind of ever present who, who maneuver between all four of those, given the situation or the circumstance? We've seen that great leaders can kind of evolve, step up to the plate as need be, but that's not the same thing as highest and best use. So typically, if you're moving into a mode that is not necessarily your dominant, um, your top skill set, you're not going to have the same energy, the same excitement. Um, and therefore, the results typically are not going to match that. So sure, can leaders do it all? You know, people show up every day and say, you know, I'm a jack of all trades, but we've actually seen that is a big downfall of a lot of leaders' careers. You try to force fit yourself into all these different roles, you're not going to have the same results, the same outcomes as you could if you were to focus and reject what is not best in, in a best fit for you. How is it that, that Bob and Olivia came together to, I guess, first of all, start interim executives. And then as a result of that, author a book, how did you guys, how did you guys come together to begin with? We need to blame the University of Michigan for that because <laughs> I'm a Michigan alum and love Ann Arbor and I'm older than Olivia. I had already had success 
in other companies and serving as an interim CEO myself and starting to invest in things. And when social networks came around, LinkedIn, MySpace, and Facebook, I started having this feeling like, I wonder how many people are out there in the world like me doing this weird thing, taking on these project-based leadership roles. And I thought, I need to recruit an entrepreneur. I need, I need a leader with high energy to take this on. And so I posted a notice up at University of Michigan, and there was Olivia. That was 13 years ago. I didn't even know what an interim was. <laughs> it sounded awesome, you know, and it sounded like a great opportunity to be able to build something from scratch. But as soon as I started having conversations with these executives, you know, you can feel the energy, the passion for what they do. And, you know, 13 years later, we're, we're still at it a few iterations later. But so you were yeah. you were both builders back then. And um, you're probably strategists at this point, I would imagine. You know, part of the reason why the artist leadership style was written the way that it is, is that to my peril, Bob, I am, I am very pure artist mode. I, I have an intense desire to create product services, connections, and, and I don't know that that's always been an advantage. And I've talked to a lot of, of <laughs> other people who are creatively driven both in leadership roles, but also in, in the arts. And in my spare time, I paint. I've talked to other painters and, and there's a feeling amongst most everyone, which is it's a conflicted thing. Yeah. You're driven to do it, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to succeed in power and wealth. And one of the artist leaders we quote in the book, his name is Jeff Leitner, and he's consulted to the Dalai Lama and the State Department. And he's, he's wildly creative. And, and he, his, his reaction to both being interviewed and then reading the book was he's driven. He's driven and it's not always a plus. I could not agree more. Um, you know, although I've, I've got a very successful business with 40 or so employees, I've had other things that didn't work out so well. Still licking wounds from, from some of those things, you know, or have, have scars or, you know, ho however we express that. So, hey, Olivia, this was this your first adventure right out of college or did you do something, something different? This was it. I mean, through college, I had, you know, a lot of random jobs. I drove around the Midwest selling appliance part hotline to, you know, the, the many different ventures and the I am building and everything under the sun. But I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And, you know, to Bob's point about himself as an artist, we're big fans of complementary leadership styles. And I like putting structure, organization and process together. So we were very complimentary in, in that aspect. You know, I think that's huge. I have six people on my management team and that complimentary aspect of your management team, you know, so I guess maybe some people would call it chemistry, but it's huge. Uh, and I've had it not be present and not work. And keep in mind over a 26 year military career, I've been on many, many teams. You know, I've been the newest, lowest ranking person on the team to, you know, mid-level to officer in charge, the, the knucklehead who messed something up to the, the person who got pretty good results. And you even mentioned it, I think, in your book a little bit that there's all there's these different evolutions that organizations go through. And so you might not need a fixer right now. You might need a strategist. You might not need an artist right now. You might need a builder. And, and it's important to recognize where that organization is in their life cycle, really, in their evolution. 
so you can apply the right brand or the right style of leadership, if you will. Interim executives. So Bob, just, just tell us what interim executives is and what they do. Interim execs is a matchmaker around the world. Olivia and I developed a concept about eight years ago called the RED team. RED stands for Rapid Executive Deployment. And it was a designation when we were realizing all these thousands of executives showing up that if you just looked at the top one or 2%, oh my God, these are rock stars, repeat rock stars. Not just they had one and done, you know, got lucky, but people just repeatedly delivering excellence in, in leadership. And we realized there was the makings for an offering and it best expressed itself as a team. That's gotten legs around the world. They're both clients that call up and say, I need someone from the red team. And they're lots of executives who will show up and say, how do I get on the red team? But at its core, this is our ability to be good matchmakers between organizations seeking outstanding, outsized results and executives that just want to keep on going in and crushing it. Olivia, just based on what Bob just told us there, talking about your clients, can you tell us a story of a win? Can you give us a, a moment, a client profile, and just kind of let us know how you really, really uh, help that client out? Interim really has become its own career specialty. So the organizations that typically are calling on this type of leadership are going through some point of change. So either they're growing very quickly, they need someone to kind of put process systems in place to get to that next level. Maybe they have a sudden leadership gap. We often get called into troubling situations though too. So we look back to a family-owned manufacturing company. Uh, they were in the packaging space and really things were going sideways. Revenue was negative. They had laid off most of their team staff trying to figure out what do we do next. So they brought on an interim CEO. We deployed an executive from our red team who literally was out there within days and was speaking with everyone on the floor to figure out what are the issues at play. Within 90 days, he had things completely turned around. The factory was up running again. You know, the, the place was bustling and Ultimately, it was that leader that was able to bring that company back to profitability. What were some of the things he did? He did a bunch of things. One of them was, and those are going to sound obvious, but to a lot of your listeners, he actually listened to the to the workers on, on the floor. It's an amazing idea, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's huge. It's, yeah. um, we keep on citing examples of fixers in the book, fixer leaders, where the first thing they'll do is, just go listen to everyone on the floor. Don't go to the, the, the former CEO who screwed it up. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't go to the owner whose, whose hair's on fire, you, you know, whatever. Go talk to the men and women running the machines and the janitors. And, and, and he literally did this in the, the brilliance of, of this particular leader. Also, he spoke five or six languages. I mean, there's a a, a story we love where there was a woman, she was originally from India. She didn't really speak much English. She'd been working in the plant many years. He knew some Hindi. And he just <laughs> went up to her in India. Got me beat on that one. It was like this. And, and he just kind of made some reverence to her as a human being. And at some point she started crying and she said, no one in management had ever talked to her ever as someone on the factory floor. 
You know, that tells me that with my clients, especially family-owned businesses, there is a lack of understanding how important professional development is, how important it is to develop leaders at all levels. You know, we talked about the perishability and the need for it to be a, an open and continuous process. You know, that's the, the scenario you just described is it's so unfortunate, but it's so common. You know, I try and focus on having a quarterly all hands where everybody has the floor for as long as they want it. But in addition to that, there's other interactions that I have with the team on a regular basis. There's, there's three questions I ask when a good idea comes up or, or I, when I seek good ideas or when somebody says, hey, I think we should make this change because, and I love it when they just bring the idea, you know, on their own, out of the blue, unsolicited. But there's three questions. Question number one is, will it enhance the employee's experience? Question number two is, will it enhance the customer's experience? And question number three is, will it enhance the bottom line? If the answer is yes to all three of those, it's probably going to happen. If the answer is yes to one of those three, and usually that's the case, then you, you, know, you have further investigation to see, what, to see if this concept has legs or not. Uh, so that, and that's kind of an open and continuous process. So did you you're say, a, go I'm ahead. sorry, if I can add something, you're, you're right on the money and it, it's, you're bringing up a point I find very interesting, which is, you, you know, you have a background, which is very human based in terms of leadership. You know, a lot of what, for example, drives the S&P 500 are, are tech companies now, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the training of a lot of those engineers who move into leadership roles is not leadership in the sense of, of how do you work with other people? It is how do you write better code? And right. so a lot of those folks who advance, they think in terms of more and more efficient algorithms, which in turn also drives their thinking about how do you manage people? Not the human side of it, but how do you measure how are you going to reinforce and how are you going to motivate? And I think it leads to more need than ever for good leadership. And I mean, human leadership. You know, I haven't heard it delineated, you know, human leadership versus kind of that engineering. Now I hear the engineer thing all the time. And I, I find it very true because engineers are just very linear in the way they approach things, which is, which is their job. You know, there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but in terms of leadership, yes, human leadership, we're human beings. We have wives, we have husbands, we have children, we have death in the family, we have high school graduations, we have sick kids, you know, we are human beings and we have all that. And when we come to work, we still have all that. Good leaders, not managers, but good leaders because managers manage, right? Managers manage a process or a procedure or a system or a budget, but leading, and I love your word human, human leadership, uh, something completely different altogether. So my, my good friend, Marty Strong, he calls it leadership with a capital L, which is, I think, what you call human leadership. And then he says leadership with a small L, which is managing these, uh, these kind of systems and, and uh, processes and procedures and all that. Did you say earlier, Olivia, you have clients in 42 countries? We have been approached at this point by over 5,000 executives, 42 countries around the globe. We work um, here in the U.S. and abroad. So our executives and clients are really around the world. Wow. So how many people on the interim execs team? It's a constantly moving target. Um, and I think that is one thing that's very unique about the world of interim. When clients come to us, 
part of the magic is, do we have an executive who is free right at this moment, who's the right fit? The nature of interim, whether it's parachuting in for three months or several years, one second executive is free, the next minute they're not. Um, but that also is what is so beneficial to clients who say, can we get someone now? Yeah. Where are we at right now? Let's dive in and tackle this challenge. So red team parachuting in. I love, uh, and no, is no military background with either one of you? You know, it's funny. The two of us, well, Olivia's father, very proud, a good Marine vet. Um, cool, cool. It, it's funny because we need to write about this. Military veterans index at least three times, 300% higher than general population in terms of this desire to become interim or project-based. Huh. We've asked about military service. It is more prevalent. Yeah. It's just you're getting more leadership training if, you, if you've been in any one of the services. Yeah, for sure. You know, that's something that I learned and I talk about quite a bit. The, and it's a mistake I made early in my business. The typical 24, 25-year-old in the military has been to two or three leadership academies and has held two or three leadership positions. You know, even if they're just leading a squad or a platoon, they're leading six, eight people, which that's how I set up my kind of frontline leadership. For about every five or six people, somebody is, is the designated supervisor or leader in some capacity. But again, you know, in the military, we're exposed to that at such, such a young age, so early, immediately in our careers, right when our careers start. And my experience in the private sector is that's not the case. And so, you know, I made the mistake of putting people in key positions that they weren't prepared for. My fault, not theirs. I looked at the education and I looked at the age and I said, okay, you know, this person is capable of, of this next level. So, so a lesson learned there. The other thing that I've discovered, and, you know, we have these epiphanies almost every day, right? In the military, we, we raise our hand, we swear an oath. We have a code of conduct and we have core values and the core values in the Navy, for example, honor, courage, commitment. These are things that we're either massaged with or beaten over the head with on a daily basis. Uh, but in any case, it works because I don't want to let my teammates down in terms of not being honorable, lacking courage or lacking commitment. And so I've got to check myself all the time. Hey, am I acting out of self-interest here? Am I being a good teammate? Right. And unfortunately for me, it took a long time to really figure that out in the private sector. So I have core values in my organization. I'm sure that as part of what you do, you you put a lot of emphasis on core values. But I have three core values, loyalty, integrity, professionalism. We talk about them as teammates all the time. We hold each other accountable to those and you define it the way you want to define it. I don't even have, you know, the two or three paragraph thing on the wall. I just have three words and we're going to live by those three words. And for the first year, before I had mission, vision, values, and you know all the things a business is really supposed to have, that's all we had. This, so this explains why I think so many executives that we see do have military background. I mean, we always say resume is one thing. People send their resume, it's, it's pretty static in terms of uh, background. So the so much of what we're doing in building the red team is building these trusted relationships and looking at uh, leaders wiring in their values. Is there alignment there? Are they going to act with integrity? Are, are they going to take action, be held accountable for their actions? Um, so that's really ultimately what also helped us write the book, Right Leader, Right Time, was seeing that common thread between the leaders that were at the top. That's pretty cool. Bob, did you have something to add to that? At, at its highest point, it's not about 
the resume. It is not about somebody's credentials. It's about their integrity. Absolutely. And we didn't, Olivia and I, you know, we've been uh, business partners going on 13 years and we had a bunch of failed experiments to get to the point where interim execs had a commercial basis, had had red team. And, and we didn't realize over the years, all our conversations, we were taking on gigs, all of these conversations about integrity, what we expected of ourselves, what we were going to expect of any client or anyone we work with. I don't think we realized at the time how foundational or important it was going to be to then go launch red team. I think maybe we had this assumption that, well, these are phenomenal people. You know, if you were the CEO of a major company, of course, everything's in place, all your values, blah, blah, blah. That's not true, actually. <laughs> it's unfortunate. It's not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, surprising as it was to us, but it's funny as you were talking because it, it reminds me, Bob, I mean, we had a code of ethics for the red team and it has some rules that are very particular to doing this kind of work. All of it revolves around integrity and, and it's helped us. It's, it's not just lip service. We, we've had, we had one disaster. We had one person who completely breached any sense of integrity and acting honorably. And I think having a foundation, having guiding principles was important because we knew immediately what we had to do. There was no if, ands, or buts about, gee, where do we stand on this? We knew exactly where we stood on it mm -hmm. and what yeah. we had to do. You know, and I think you kind of hit the point earlier that a lot of these things, you know, these, these are traits that don't necessarily show up in the resume or on the piece of paper, either positive or negative, you know, but on the positive side, that integrity, that willingness to take ownership, um, especially when things go wrong, you know, really share the success with everybody and, and take ownership of things that, that go wrong. So what are some of the codes within your organization, Bob? It's a great question, Bob. I'll, I'll give you two of them. One of them is you have to speak truth to power. Now that sounds easy or obvious. Someone says, well, I'm a leader. Of course, I'm courageous and I do that. Well, okay. But you think about this because a lot of people, when they interview for a job, a traditional job, they're doing it because they want the job, they want it and they want to fit in. And so in a lot of cases, they could learn about something before they've been hired that doesn't quite sound right about that organization. They may not say anything. We're the opposite. No one is showing up, no client, no organization showing up because they just want to hear the same thing. They usually have some pressing need. And so we have to be associating with executives who will tell the truth. Most of the time, it's very uncomfortable for the owners and the board to hear. They have to be able to say it. It's not easy because in a lot of cases, they're not going to get the gig. And we don't want them to get the gig because in that case, if the organization can't handle it, we know it wouldn't be a good fit. That's one. The other is we call it generosity upfront. And what we mean is that when an organization shows up and they have some pressing need, something really great is happening, something really bad has occurred. We don't want to be in the room with an executive where the executive's default position is, oh, I get it. Okay, well, you hire me and then I'm gonna give you my secret sauce, but you gotta hire me first. Absolutely doesn't fly with us. We expect the opposite. We expect before there's any contract, there's any money that's flowing, that that executive is going to say, you know, I hear what you're saying. Here are some ideas. This is what I would do going in from what I've learned. This is day one. This is day 30. This is day 90. We want that generosity up front, both because the owner or the board, they deserve it, but also because why would we want to make a match where it turns out to be a mismatch 
where the game plan that executive has, has no, you know, it, it, it does not resonate at all with the owners of the company. So yeah, that's a, that's our a, own rules. No, that's a great example. And that generosity up front, I would almost, I would almost call that integrity. You want to give the best of yourself. It's got to be, in my case, uh, it has to be a win-win, right? It, it's got to be a good fit for what I'm looking for and a good fit for what, what the other organization's looking for. You know, I take on coaching clients or I don't take on coaching clients. Also, uh, people in my leadership development program called Elevate Your Leadership. I've had many, many people sit through and say, my goodness, where has that been? That was incredible. And I've had one person in particular who really needed it. He needed leadership development more than anybody else. And of course, he's the one who said, you know, this is a joke or this isn't doing anything for me. Okay, folks, we are good capitalists, Olivia, Bob Jordan, and myself, Bob Pizzini. And as good capitalists, we're going to take a quick break for capitalism. We will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back. I'm speaking to Olivia Wagner and Bob Jordan. Both live in the Midwest. Both started a company called Interim Execs. And both wrote a pretty cool book titled Right Leader, Right Time. You know, I have to say, as I, as I go through your book and I go through your YouTube, some of your social stuff, as somebody who did a 26-year career to begin with, and then somebody who's eight years into my private sector career, I think there's a bit of maturity or a bit of seasoning. Like, so Olivia, you know, you work with seasoned executives to, to be on your team. And then you work with companies, I imagine that have been around for a while. I guess, I guess my point is there, there has to be this level of experience for you to get involved. Is, is that right? The executives we work with all have pretty stellar careers. They have these track records of, repeat success, going in, helping a company that's struggling, doing it again and again. Usually we see one of two routes that executives get into this line of work, one being more of the entrepreneurial. You know, they built a company from the ground up. They want to go and help other companies do the same thing. The other route tends to be more of the corporate track where maybe a leader is running a division of a company, spinning out new product lines, fixing areas of the business, they realize they have a knack for it and kind of go off on their own to help other companies do the same. So that's interesting. That's intriguing. I mean, I find that personally interesting and intriguing. Can you give me an example of uh, the backgrounds of some of the people on your team? Bob, you want to take that one? Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sure. To Olivia's point, for example, you know, former president of Pepsi, you know, a terrific consumer products executive on the big end. On the uh, smaller end, a person who launched his own software company, grew it from scratch to $30 million and sold it to a private equity shop. And in both cases, to Olivia's prior point, interim contract, fractional project, whatever you want to call this form of leadership, this has become its own career. So you have these executives still in their prime. We don't work with retired folks. 
and whether it is Fortune 500 or it is this homegrown middle market, lower middle market executives, these are people, let's face it, in most cases, they're not doing it for the paycheck. They don't need the paychecks. It's not that kind of employment anymore. It is for this desire to be of service, as, as we put it in the book, to be at a point of highest and best use. Yeah, I would say that almost goes back to what we were talking about just a minute ago regarding the interview process, the the generosity or the integrity. You know, that's I think if if someone's interviewing and and they are in it for the paycheck, so to speak, then they're guarded and they they have that more less cordial way of communicating and negotiating versus somebody who is not in it for the money. I'm comfortable. I want to go somewhere where I can have an impact. Or maybe, I don't know, have you, Olivia, have, have you sent a red team in and one of, one of your executives said, you know, that, that one's not for me? You make an excellent point here because we tell every client, the executive is going to be interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing the executive. We want to work with leaders who are selective about what they take on. They're evaluating the situation and saying, this is for me or it isn't. And that's the beauty of team too, where you can bring in someone else who would be better suited to that assignment, depending on what's needed. But I think that selectivity, we talk about it in our book, Right Leader, Right Time, because ultimately the more you can play to your strengths, the the more exciting of a career too that you'll have, the more um, gratification you probably get just on a day in day, day basis. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You meet more people, you expose yourself to new and different things, new and different concepts. You know, we talked earlier about lifelong learning, which is one of my keys to effective leadership is to always be learning whatever you're learning. Um, you know, you can learn how to ballroom dance, you can go get another graduate degree, you can I coach hockey, you know, you can you can advance your hockey skills. There's always something to be learned and Olivia in Detroit, probably a Red Wings fan. Bob, I know you're a diehard Blackhawks fan, even though we're having a tough year. <laughs> so, but even just learning about the game, for example, you know, when you just expose yourself to these, these different learning opportunities, it's a lot of fun. Again, that happens when you get out there and mix it up with different organizations. All right. This is an incredible discussion. We are coming to the end, unfortunately. I like to have my podcasts be drive time or gym time. As a podcast listener myself, I find that to be the most convenient. Bob, what have I left out? What haven't I asked that uh, you think is important to share? Geez, Bob, that's a good question. I think you've been really thorough. Oh, I'll, I'll throw out one more thing. You know, it used to be people would do a book and it's like you deliver the Ten Commandments and you're done. That's totally <laughs> not the way the world is. Not only do you not make any money on this, but you just we're just getting started here of a multi-year journey. And, and the thing we've launched in addition to the book is a leadership assessment. It's Fab's leadership assessment. It's going up on the website at rightleader.com and it's free. And that's how we're going to get science, real life stats behind what we've said about these four leadership styles to put more meat on that. And so absolutely it's front and center for, for us, our mission, whether or not somebody ever reads the book is we would just, we'd love more information about how people view their own leadership journey and and what particular style they have. Yeah, that that's the value right there. So right leader, rightleadership.com. I'm sorry, what was that website again? Rightleader.com. Rightleader.com. And is there a fee to take that assessment? No, it's free. Fab's leadership assessment is free. 
Okay, so I highly recommend everybody to do that. And I'm going to do that myself. You know, one of the things and Olivia, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Bob about, you know, what haven't I asked? What have I left out? But just real quick, one of the things I've noticed in reading all these different leadership books, you know, I've read all the Maxwell books and, you know, some of these really big names, Fortune 100 CEOs, etc. But I find the, the smaller, less, lesser known authors, the, you know, the person who struggled through whatever they struggled through. And I'm not saying Bill Gates or, you know, some of these other Elon Musk, you know, I'm sure they struggle. Hell, Elon Musk doesn't even have a book out, I don't think. But I, I just, I find such value in books written by people who own, we'll say small to medium sized businesses, because they just share the truth and the hardship. And there's just so much to be gained there. So I'm, a, I'm an avid reader when it comes to uh, books on leadership, amongst other things. And Olivia, what haven't I asked you that I should have? This has been a great conversation, Bob. You know, I just kind of echo what Bob said in terms of going to fa- uh, rightleader.com to take the FAB's leadership assessment, understand your own leadership style, but beyond that, understand how to build complementary teams. Uh, the more you can really look at your team through the lens of what is everyone's strength ultimately will help drive where each individual should be contributing, should be serving, um, and I think is going to lead to a lot of better outcomes. That's huge. In the military, we really look closely at what are everyone's strengths. And then, you know, pardon the term, but we, we then exploit that. We really put people where they can have the most impact, you know, uh, as much as we can. Well, hey, super discussion. Olivia Wagner, Bob Jordan, thank you so much for being on the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. And uh, hopefully we're going to talk again. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. To contact Bob directly or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com, Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com, and connect with him on LinkedIn.